Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, today we begin a new series on the different names of God. And the reason we're going through uh, this, this series is the theme that we've placed before us this year is to love God with all of our heart and soul and strength and mind and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And in order to love God, we need to know who God is. We need to know how he has revealed himself to us through history, how he has revealed himself to us through Holy Scripture. Now, let me tell you a story. I remember growing up, I went to places that were kind of touristy, uh, places like Great America or, or other places like that. And, you know, one of the things you can buy, one of the trinkets you could buy is you could buy little keychains with your name carved out on it or, you know, maybe a little placard. And it gives you the meaning of your names, right? They have names like Johnny, which means God is gracious. Or they have names like Aaron, which means peace. So I'm, I'm in uh, this place, I'm looking for Dean, right? Because that's what every kid does. They look for their own names, right? If your name is Sumiko, you're out of luck. It's no go, but Dean, there's a shot. And, and I'm looking, I'm looking and they, they have my name, I find it. And imagine my disappointment when I find out my name means dweller of the valley, right? It, it's not even like living up on top of a hill or something. It, it's living in the lowlands. That's what, that's what my name means. Scripture, however, uses names differently. They're not, they're not just given because they sound good. Names have meaning and names have characteristics. Names even have power. And over the next several weeks, we'll be looking at the different names of God because we want to know God and we want to fall in love with him. We want to fall in love with every aspect, every facet of who God is. And so today we're going to be looking at one of his most frequently used names, and that is the name Yahweh, or I am, or I am who I am. And in order to really understand this name, we have to look at one passage. There's so many passages we can look at, but I want to look at one passage where God uses it in response to a question posed by Moses. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. And as we look at Exodus chapter 3, I'm going to pose a few questions, and in turn, I'm going to see how the name of God answers those questions. And just a quick note, uh, I'll be talking about this. Yahweh and I am are both from the same Hebrew root. I'll talk about this later, Hayah. And uh, when I talk about Yahweh and I talk about I am, and it sounds like I'm referencing the same thing, it's, it's because I am. Okay, so turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, and we'll begin by reading starting in verse 1. Uh, by the way, I, uh, I, I'm trusting that all the slides are moving forward. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> I, I, we're having some other technical issues, so thank you, Aaron. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned? When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he says, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. 
And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, most of us, we're familiar with Moses' story. But just a quick recap in case you aren't. Moses was born when his people were enslaved by the Egyptians. But God miraculously intervened, and he was raised in Pharaoh's palace. Pharaoh is, is like their king. All the luxury, all the training, all the privileges of being part of that royal household. And at some point in his adulthood, Moses begins to identify with his own ethnic race. And in a fit of anger over injustice, he accidentally murders an Egyptian man who is beating a Hebrew slave. And he runs away. Now, for 40 years, he's hiding out in the desert. He meets his future wife and his future father-in-law, Jethro, and he takes on their given profession, which was shepherding, which, by the way, was the most detestable occupation of, uh, for an Egyptian. So in his former life, he would have looked down upon all shepherds. Now, Moses had lost everything. He'd lost his wealth. He's lost his power. He's lost his position. He didn't have a people to call his own. Uh, he had a dead-end job. He, he was a refugee. He was an immigrant. And Moses had it really rough. I think we would all agree that Moses wins the toughest life award. And for Moses, I wonder if he thought his best days were over. Whatever dreams of success or aspirations that he had, whether they were a future as a king or pharaoh, or maybe they were liberator of an entire people group. Those were just that, dreams. So instead, he puts his head down and maybe he just pushes down those thoughts. Maybe for some of us, we can relate, can't we? Life has been hard. School has been hard. Relationships have been hard. Plans that we made a year ago have been postponed and, and, and they're being postponed again. Loved ones who have gotten ill or hospitalized, all we can do is give them a call, a FaceTime or a Zoom, right? Friends, family we know are feeling isolated and they're feeling lonely and they're uncared for. And in the midst of one of the most challenging years, politically and racially and physically, we can't even gift, give our normal gifts of presence, of, of being there with them and sitting with others. Maybe life has been hard for you too. And in this context, God shows up. So one day in Moses's new normal, Moses encounters Yahweh God. And Yahweh says, I know what's going on in the world around you. And I'm going to send you to do something about it. Turn with me to verse 10. He says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. What? Put yourself again in the position of Moses. God, why would you send me, right? I've tried this before and I have utterly failed, right? That's why I'm sitting out here in this God-forsaken desert. That ship has sailed. That dream has died. I'm not the right person, God. I'm too old and I'm too tired. I'm too spent. I'm too jaded. I'm too scared. Surely, God, you must have made a mistake. And here's the truth. It's a truth that doesn't just apply to this passage, it applies to your life. Even when you are facing challenges, 
God can use you if you allow him to, right? It doesn't matter what place you are in life. If you let God, he can use you in a very powerful way. And God says, nope, I didn't make a mistake. I am sending you. I am calling you, Moses. You are going to be my hands and you're going to be my feet. There are times that God calls us to be his hands and his feet, to share the gospel to those around to show love to those who have been neglected, forgotten, to care for the lonely, the vulnerable, the weak, right? And, and a lot of times we're like, what? I, I just can't do it. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I'm too scared. And I really love Moses. He's so human in his inadequacies. He's standing in the very presence of God, right? His toes are digging into this holy dirt. His face is feeling the burn of the holy fire. And even in God's presence, he says, who am I? Look in verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And later on, he makes another objection in uh, chapter four, verse one. He says, but God, what if they don't believe me? Right? Uh, then Moses answered, behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And later on in chapter four, he says, but God, I don't, I don't speak so well. And look in chapter four, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in my past or, or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech, slow of tongue. And his final appeal in verse 13, send someone else, please. Right? He says, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. And I really love Moses because Moses does everything I would do. I look for excuses. How, how can I get out of this? I try to just justify our lack of action. Uh, oh man, I, I'm just so busy. I got way too much going on. I got all this you know, load of caring for my family, work, and, and just, just trying to survive. I compare myself to others and it's like, well, he's not helping. She's not helping. They're not sharing the gospel. And I look at all the reasons I can't do what God is calling me to do. And maybe you do too. I know I'm called to love my neighbors, but I think I, I, don't, really, I don't really know them. I know I'm supposed to care for my neighbors. But what if they think I'm weird? I know I'm supposed to share the gospel, but, but God, I, I'm not eloquent. I'm not educated. I'm not an evangelist. I know I'm supposed to make disciples, but God, can't you send someone else? I know we're called to live generously towards others and we're called to love sacrificially and we're called to serve faithfully. And there are times we just feel so inadequate. Maybe we cry out to God, who am I God? Maybe it's beyond our church walls. You drive by and you see homelessness growing in our communities and you wonder who's going to take care of this. And here's the truth. God can use you, but boy, I feel so inadequate. And I say, who am I, God? I don't have the training. I don't know what I can do. I already have enough on my plate. What can I do? And there are times we just feel so inadequate. And maybe we cry out to God and we say, who am I, God? And here is where the name Yahweh comes into place. play. When feeling inadequate to do what God has called you to do, remember his name, Yahweh. 
when feeling inadequate to do what God has called you to do, when you feel like you don't have enough in the tank, when you feel like you don't have enough education or you don't have the words or you don't have the ability, remember Yahweh. We read in verse 13, Moses says, who shall I tell the people who sent me? And God says, I am in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. You'll notice the first time that uh, Moses says, what's your name? God doesn't actually respond with a name. He responds with a verb. He says, I am who I am. In fact, in, uh, in Hebrew, the phrase that he uses, I am who I am, he uses this word, uh, which is the first person of haya. Haya is kind of a fun word to say, right? It sounds like karate, uh, but it's the first person meaning to be. I am what I am. I will be what I will be, or I, ex I, I will be who I will be. And what he is saying here is, I am, I have always existed. And Moses, I know your objections. I know you have grown up around the great and mighty Pharaoh. I know you grew up with the sun God and the river God and the moon God. I know, I know that you've seen their magicians and their sorcerers do their magic, but I want you to know something. As big as your obstacles are, Moses, I am. Before those sun God and river God and moon gods were even a speck of sand, I am. Before the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh's father and his father and his father before him, I am. I have always existed, Moses. Before any of them have ever existed, I am. And the first thing God does in revealing his name is he establishes that he is eternal. He has existed before all time. In fact, he exists outside of time. God has always been and all will always be. And what that means is he will never change. Though the world should change, God is and will always be. Though kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, God is and God will always be. Though philosophies and politics and powers, they all come and they all go, but God is and God will always be. And what he is reminding us is God has always existed and God will never change. I wonder how many of us forget that this is a God that we worship. We might not fear Pharaoh. We might not fear idols. But there are things in our lives that we have made so big that perhaps they even dwarf God. There are problems that we think are so big that we can't even see God. But when we meditate on God's eternality, we realize to God, these aren't a problem at all. Because God is outside time. He controls what has happened and what will happen. Recently, uh, we've been watching a lot of movies with my girls and, you know, they're not, they're not little girls anymore. Uh, and so up until recently, we, we haven't let them watch certain movies just because we thought it was kind of scary, you know, stuff like Star Wars or, or Marvel type of stuff. 
uh, even Lord of the Rings. It, it, it is kind of scary. And Sumiko and I, we've watched most of these movies already, but there was a time, uh, you know, we, we didn't want to scare the girls, but we thought, hey, it's their time. It's time to grow up. They're ready. And so we started watching these movies with, with both of our girls. And every so often, I'll look over and I'll see uh, that Mika is still getting a little worried, right? She's not sure if the hero of the movie will survive or the villain, it looks like he's on the verge of prevailing. And Mika looks over and she, she's like covering her face sort of with a blanket. And she's looking, he's like, does Luke survive, right? Will Woody ever get home? And you know, I'm not worried because I know what will happen. God isn't worried either, but it's not just that he knows what will happen. He's in absolute control of what will happen. And if God says go, then you and I can confidently go. If God says share the gospel, then we can confidently share the gospel. If God says live generously, live joyfully, live without anxiety, then we can believe him. When we read God's word and he tells us, believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you can take that to the bank because there is no changing with God. When we live our lives according to his word, you can be sure this isn't a, a passing fad. God's word is eternal. And when we experience God's love, his compassion, his grace, you can be sure God isn't fickle. His love for you, his care for you, his compassion for you, it's as eternal as he is. And Yahweh reminds us that God is bigger than any problem you or I will ever face because God is eternal. And when you're feeling inadequate, remember Yahweh, God is eternal. Well, the second thing about the name Yahweh is that it teaches us that God is self-existent. Because God is self-existent, now we're getting into a little heady territory, because God is self-existent, he is dependent on no one. And in fact, everything is dependent on him. Now, stick with me. Uh, it's a little bit abstract, but I think if you grasp this, it will change your life. For, for many of us, we are competent capable, intelligent, high-functioning people, right? Maybe you're an immigrant or you're a child of an immigrant. And in the words of Lin-Manuel, immigrants, we get the job done, right? We've worked hard our whole lives to get everything that we have. You have studied and you have saved and you have labored and you have scrimped. It's all on you. But the Bible says, sure, You've worked hard with the desires, with your talents, with your abilities, your opportunities. But none of them were actually created by you. They were all given to you, right? You didn't work hard to be born with a functioning brain. You didn't work hard to be born into the environment you were born into. You didn't work hard for the types of people that you lived around. You were dependent on your parents for being born. You're dependent on the people in your neighborhood. You, you didn't choose who lived there or who was your classmate. We were dependent on the type of medical care that was available to us at the time, right? The type of uh, medical care given to delivering moms. Just for example, uh, they didn't exist during the time of Christ. In fact, in 1800, 46% of babies didn't make it to the age of five. Can you believe that? That's crazy. 
right? 46% of babies did not survive to the age of five. If you were born in 1800, almost half of us wouldn't be alive. But you weren't born in 1800. You were dependent on someone else, something else. And God is not like you or I. He has existed from all eternity. There is nothing that he needs. And what that means is that God is dependent on nothing, but everything is dependent on him. And everything that we have is actually from God. Everything we have is actually a gift from God. God gave you talents. God gave you desires. God gave you abilities. God gave you opportunities, really. And if he hadn't given anything to you, you wouldn't have anything. Everything is a gift from God. And the opposite can also be true. Some of us might be thinking, well, I don't have enough talent, right? I don't have enough intelligence. I don't have enough gifting. I can't preach like Pastor Jim, and I can't teach like Uncle Ken. God reminds Moses in chapter 4, 11, he says, Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Because God is self-existent, everything we have comes from God and everything we need comes from God. Now, this idea is simultaneously humbling and liberating. Humbling because we realize we owe everything to God. Our jobs, our grades, our education, our relationships, our finances, our kids, everything. It's all from God. And when we meditate on God's self-existence, we should just be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving and say, thank you, God, for all that you have given to me, the life that I have, the air that I breathe. But it's also liberating at the same time because we now realize that we are not the ones holding the world together, right? I can relax. I can trust God. I can allow God to be God to be the self-existent one. Notice when Moses says to God, but what about this or what about that? Starting in verse 16, he writes, uh, go and gather the elders of Israel together. And say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I have observed uh, you and and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And he goes on. Uh, in verse 20. So I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Notice how God says who is going to do the work, right? It's God. I will. Yahweh will. I will bring you out of affliction. I will stretch out my hands. I will strike Egypt. I will do it. I will let you go. I will give people favor in the sight of Egyptians. When we remember that God is the great I am, it frees us not to worry, to trust that God will do what he has promised to do, to know that everything is a gift from him, and God will do all that he has promised. Well, the third thing that Yahweh reminds us is that God 
is always with us, that God is present. He is always with us. Starting in uh, chapter three, starting in verse seven, he says, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cries because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land uh, to a good and broad land. God is not distant, friends. God is not ignorant. God is not passive. God is not impotent. God sees your suffering. God sees your heartache. God sees your your pain. And he hears. And he's moved with love. And he is at work. God sees their pain. And he hears their cries. God is concerned with their suffering. God is doing something. He's coming down. God is going to rescue them by using Moses. I wonder for us, how many of us have ever felt, or perhaps we feel like this, all the stuff that is going on and we wonder, God, where are you? Why do I have to suffer through this? Why is there so much pain in the world and in my life? Why, why is there so much loneliness in the world and in my life? Why is there so much division outside, but even inside my own home? God, won't you rescue me? Won't you rescue us? Won't you help us? Won't you meet me in my time of need? And when we remember Yahweh is always with us, it reminds us that there is a God who sees all that we go through, all the heartache, all the pain, all the anxiety, all the loneliness, all the insecurities. And every time we cry out to God, every time we pray to God, he hears Every time we feel like we are all alone, we feel like we're strangers in a foreign land like Moses did, God is with us. And even when we start doing the things that God is calling us to do, sharing the gospel, loving our neighbors, giving generously, seeking reconciliation, God says, I am with you even then. And he tells Moses, I want you to go and talk to Pharaoh. And look at what he says in verse 12, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. When God says, I am will be with you, wherever you go, I am there with you. You're never alone. Are you feeling alone? Perhaps you're feeling unloved or you're feeling misunderstood. Are you crying out in pain and heartache and loneliness and desperation? Does your heart break over injustice, over tragedies, over brokenness? God hears and God sees and God knows. And God might be saying to you, I want you to do something about it. And when you do, remember, I am will be with you. When you go and you share the hope of eternal life, not knowing if you will be mocked or ridiculed, remember, I am will be with you. When you go and you, and you, and you love your neighbors and you care for them uh, generously and you live uh, with, with kindness towards them, remember that I am will be with you, right? When you, when you go and you serve the homeless, like with City Team, or you go and you, you care for uh, other people who don't have as much as you, Remember, I am will be with you. 
I am will always be with you. When we are feeling inadequate, remember Yahweh. Uh, I, I think I might have lost my place, Aaron, so uh, you might have to skip for it. And then finally, in verse 15, we read, we get to uh, his name, the Lord. Right? The Lord Yahweh uh, here has sent you. And so it's kind of interesting. We went from I am, we went from I am uh, to uh, I am who I am to I am has sent you. And now it's Yahweh has sent you. And we don't necessarily get this in, in the English, right? Uh, we get this in the Hebrew. Uh, and God here is saying, this is my name, Yahweh. Remember the first slide we had was Echia Asher Echia, which means I am who or what I am. And it comes from the, the root word haya, which means to be. But here God now says, this is my name. And instead of echya, it's Yahweh, which is actually the third person of this word haya. It's the third person of haya. So one is I am, and now one is he is. And some of us might be reading, well, how do we get from I am uh, to Yahweh? And it gets a little technical, but I think it is helpful to understand. Uh, the Lord here, notice it's all capitalized. It's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And in the Hebrew word, it, it's only four letters. It's called the tetragrammaton, uh, meaning four words. It's the Y-H-W-H. And what the, what the Jewish uh, people did, they were so uh, scared of uh, accidentally taking the Lord's name in vain. In ancient scripture, in, when they saw the name Yahweh, they would put in, they would swap in the word Adonai, which is a general word for Lord. They put those vowels in there. So whenever someone read, uh, they saw the word Yahweh with the word Adonai, they would say Adonai. So they wouldn't accidentally um, use the Lord's name in vain. And so fast forward a few hundred years, when the English translators decided to translate uh, the, the, the name of Yahweh, decided for whatever reason to stick with the Lord, but they capitalized everything because they wanted uh, the reader to note that this wasn't Adonai, but this was actually Yahweh. And so they decided to stick with all caps here. And unfortunately, I think it's kind of a shame that they decided to do that because when you hear the Lord, it's not a name. It's a title, right? It's something you call someone else. It's a title of God. Uh, but when God tells us his name, he's actually saying, my name is Yahweh. This is my name. It would be as if I went to Sumiko and I say, come here, the wife, or come here, uh, Mrs. Ren. It's, it's awkward because I have a relationship with her. So I call her uh, by her name. Right? And when, when we say the Lord, oftentimes we forget that uh, God tells us his name and his name is Yahweh. Now throughout scripture, we read about God. We read about Elohim God, and that's the creative God, the powerful God. But here he says, my name is Yahweh. It's a relational God. It's a covenant making name. The people, I will do whatever it takes so my people know how much I love them. I am there, Yahweh is what he says. And when God tells uh, Moses his name, he is doing something that no other ancient religion uh, has ever done. He's inviting his creation into a relationship with him. And what this means is that we are now in a relationship with God. 
we are in a relationship with Yahweh. We can pray and we can worship and we can meditate because we have a relationship with him. He's not someone who's distant. He's not someone who's far away. He's inviting you and I into a relationship with him. And this means we should develop that relationship. We should nurture uh, that relationship. And we do that by learning more about him. We, we do it by putting ourselves in a position where we understand his goodness and we understand his character and we understand his grace. We, 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 we should take time and remember there is a God that is in a relationship with us. I wonder how many of us pause throughout the day and just remember there is a God that wants to be in a relationship with me, that wants to talk to me, that wants to listen to me. And if you're anything like me, I mean, I go through my days and, you know, three times, uh, every time I eat, there's always a prayer at least, but I forget that God is there with me sometimes. I forget that God wants me just to, just to talk to him, to tell him what's on my heart. I forget there's a God that wants to talk to me and hear what's on his heart. I forget that there's a God that I could bring my neighbors to and tell him about my neighbors and tell him about my family and tell him about my friends, right? Wherever I am, I can talk to God. I could tell him about my kids and tell him about my parents because God says, I am is in a relationship with you. Now, 1500 years later after this, God would send his son, Jesus Christ, the great I am, the physical presence of God's love and character into human flesh. We read in John chapter eight, verse 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am, right? Jesus is the I am. He's eternal. He's self-existent. We read in John chapter one, verse one through three, in the beginning, right? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is eternal and self-existent. And later on in John chapter one, verse 12 and 13, but to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And Jesus is inviting us into a relationship with him. Jesus says, I want you to know me in the way that the I am said to Moses. And later on, part of our great commission, Jesus says, he will always be with us no matter where we go. In Matthew chapter 28, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And through his life and through his death and through his resurrection, Jesus invites you and I into a relationship with the one who has existed from all time. The great I am has come in flesh and is saying, now, will you be in relationship with me? Will you put your faith and hope in me? Will you trust me with your present, with your past and your future? And when you do, you too can experience all the freedom that comes from knowing the I am. 
the, the liberation of knowing that you're not the one that has to keep everything in control. The freedom of knowing that whatever obstacle you may have in your life, there is one that is greater and there's one that is more powerful and there's one that is for you. The freedom that comes knowing that you will never be alone wherever you go, wherever you are, you are always in the presence of God. So this week, I want to encourage each and every one of you Take some part of every day and spend it with Yahweh. Meditate on this name. Think about what does Yahweh mean in your life? Thank Yahweh or worship Yahweh. I even encourage you, use his name, not in vain, right? But worshipfully, lovingly, pray the name of Yahweh and fall deeper in love with him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we are so grateful once again just how you remind us that you are a true and living God. Father, we pray that as we meditate upon your name, Yahweh, and as we consider what impact your character has in our lives, would you change us to be people who are filled with faith, filled with hope, filled with love for others, filled with courage, because you, Yahweh, the great I am, you're always with us. You have always been with us. You know what we need. You know what we desire. You know what's best for us. And you go before us. We are so grateful, Lord. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.